There are certain skills, critical skills, that you need, that we all need, not only to get ahead in our lives, but also to ensure a successful path forward for our children and for the survival of our constitutional republic. You're listening to All About Skills, where we discuss the eight critical skills you need to succeed and how CEOs, placement directors, executive recruiters, and career-minded individuals utilize them to propel themselves to a higher level of understanding and achievement. Get ready to learn, master, and excel with your host, Charlie Jett. Thank you, Anne, and welcome to It's All About Skills. This is a series of programs where we discuss the critical skills and their application in the real world. My name is Charlie Jett, and we're coming to you from our studio in beautiful downtown Chicago. I'm an internationally certified coach specializing in career management, skill development, career crises, and positive intelligence. Now, we have a wonderful guest today. Ted Dysart is vice chairman of one of the nation's largest executive recruiting firms, Heydrich and Struggles. He recruits top-level executives, chief executive officers, and members of the board of directors of some of the nation's largest corporations. So welcome, Ted, to It's All About Skills. So glad to be with you, Charlie. Hey, to start off, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and what drew you to the executive search profession? Yeah, well, I, I'm really fortunate. I mean, search found me. It's uh, until recent years, it's not a career that a lot of people chose. It's oftentimes something people fell into. And um, after college, uh, I was in the career placement office trying to uh, figure out what my next job was going to be uh, after I graduated. And uh, just dumb luck, I got called by a fellow named Russ Reynolds. Uh, who had left uh, his eponymous firm, Russell Reynolds Associates, which is one of the big four recruiting firms, and had a small boutique and needed somebody to run their computer system. So I got recruited initially to work in the IT department, but I was always somebody who wanted to help wherever I could. And uh, over time, we moved from doing some corporate governance consulting type work into uh, searching for non-executive directors. And so it was just dumb luck that I got to start in the search business where most people finish uh, by recruiting for the boardroom. Well, that's amazing. That's, uh, that's kind of an unusual way to get in that business. You're rare in that category because many people, I guess, come in it from uh, being in corporations for a while. You know, uh, tell us generally, what do executive recruit recruiting firms do? Yeah, so really the, the key role of executive recruiting firms is helping to fill uh, a gaps oftentimes in talent, right? So every company works at some level in terms of developing its human capital. Uh, but if you reach a point where you either have a new role or somebody leave for a reason uh, or something going on, you may reach out to an executive search firm to supplement your internal talent, uh, particularly if you're a very large public company. And that can work at, at all levels, but it, really at the highest levels. So for your CFO, for your CEO, for um, key roles, uh, your general counsel, for example, uh, your CIO, uh, really those key roles within the organization that are imperative to keeping the wheels on the bus and uh, accomplishing your goals. And so 
you know, uh, a lot of times, you know, a board might, for example, hire a CEO once every five or six years, and they do it once or twice in their careers. Um, we've been doing this and we do multiple searches every year for that role. And so we have a unique perspective in terms of helping management teams um, source and assess talent. Yeah, so Hydrogen Struggles really focuses on the top level executives in, in, in the business. Correct. If, if you look at our annual report last year, you know, we um, base our, um, you know, our, our fees or, or where we operate based on a base salary plus a target bonus. And worldwide last year, our average base salary and bonus, for example, was uh, about $370,000. And obviously there were, you know, some a little below that depending on the markets, uh, but some well above that. Uh, in terms of the compensation, but we're really working at the highest levels. Uh, it's not really a staffing space. It's really executive search and assessment and development. It's the top level stuff. Now there are, I understand there are two different kinds or two different categories of executive search firms. One is contingency and the other is retainer. Uh, tell mm -hmm. us the difference between the two. Yeah, so a contingency firm is really gonna work based on a best efforts basis. And they're only going to get paid when they place somebody. Um, and so in some cases at a contingency firm, yes, you might be representing a company, but you could even turn it on its head and be representing an individual, right? You meet a great candidate and you try and place them at four or five different companies where you have a relationship and you really don't care where they end up getting placed. Um, you're just looking to get the fee. At a retained executive recruiting firm, we're getting paid uh, a retainer by the company to go out and put a lot of resources and energy behind helping them make a, a personnel decision or, or a hiring decision for a particular role. And that might be helping them assess people within the company who want the job. It might be us sourcing people externally. It might be helping them make their way through uh, a variety of different options. But our incentives are aligned to just help them make the very best decision they can possibly make. But in those cases, we represent a company. We don't represent individuals. Um, we certainly need to know candidates and we need to have access to talent to be able to do our jobs. But at the end of the day, the, the thing that makes our, um, you know, sort of wheel go around is uh, working with great companies. Now, Hydrogen Struggles is one of the largest and one of the oldest of the top level executive search firms. Uh, tell us a little bit about the history of the firm. Yeah, the, the firm was founded uh, here in Chicago in 1953 by Gardner Heydrich and John Struggles. Um, as you say, we were one of the very first um, executive search firms. In 1957, we started expanding throughout the US uh, with offices on both coasts and a number of other major cities. In 1963, uh, we started our global operations with an office uh, in London. And uh, in 1999, the firm uh, went out and uh, went public uh, on the NASDAQ. And so we're traded under the ticker symbol HSII. Um, and today we're probably, they would call us one of the big four, one of the largest um, executive recruiting firms. We have 51 offices around the world and about 425 consultants 
uh, around the world in our, in our various offices, uh, providing executive search work as well as assessment and uh, advisory services. And you basically, the firm basically set the professional standards for the industry, I understand. Yeah, we worked very closely um, years ago with a few of the other larger firms to establish our um, professional body, the AESC or the Association of Executive Search Consultants. Uh, because I would say when our industry was starting, you know, it, it probably didn't have the best reputation. It was probably looked at as it was evolving and developing more like a group of used car salesmen than professional services. Um, and, and that has grown and evolved. I mean, you, you look at today and each of the firms is developing customized psychometric test assessment tools, um, assessment methodologies, making sure that we go to market in the same way. And frankly, we've developed a lot of intellectual capital over the last 60 plus years to help differentiate us and make us competitive in the market uh, in terms of what we do. And you know, if you look at us um, as a company, you really start with our purpose and vision, right? Our, our purpose is we help clients change the world one leadership team at a time which is, you know, real, we'll really work with a company to look at its strategic direction and who is, are the leaders that they have available to help them do that. And really working with that leadership team, helping them fill gaps, um, we can get to fulfilling, you know, our vision, which is that we're committed to serving our clients as trusted advisors, um, providing diversified solutions across executive search, leadership assessment, development, and then looking at both team and organizational effectiveness and culture shaping, right? Because you got to get the right people on the bus and then you have to have them working together in the right way to be a winning team. Well, besides uh, executive search, what are some of the services uh, that are provided by hybrid constructors? Yeah, so, so I talked about some of our assessment tools. So we have a number of tools that we work with clients on uh, around assessing both the individual, assessing the team, assessing the entire employee base. Um, and then we uh, do some work around uh, those organizational effectiveness pieces and helping them work together more effectively. Uh, I guess you could say it's in some ways similar to your business, uh, a little bit of coaching, a little bit of development, and uh, a lot of giving of feedback, right? And as you get higher and higher in, organ in an organization, you know, feedback is the rarest thing that you can possibly get, clear, honest feedback. And so how do we work with a management team to help them understand how they're affecting the people underneath them? You look at some of these organizations and yes, you have a CEO, but when you have 40, 50, 60,000 employees, what can a CEO really do, right? And they have to be able to work within a management structure that they can get the organization headed in the right direction and empower their people to do what they need to do every day to serve their customers and to create value for shareholders. Wow, and what within such a, a large organization with the scope of services that you provide, uh, Ted, uh, what is your role with the firm in terms of management, management and perhaps your own uh, personal executive search specialty? Yeah, so I, I've, I've been very involved. I've been with the firm uh, just over 20 years th uh, this year. So uh, I've had a number of different roles. I ran our board of directors recruiting practice. I ran our Chicago office for a while. 
And now I joke, uh, I've got the best job in the world, which is a big fancy title. And I spend all my time with clients. Um, so, uh, you know, today I, I spend the vast majority of my time recruiting board members for public companies or uh, uh, lately I've really enjoyed working with some very large family-owned enterprises, sort of multi-generational family-owned enterprises who are looking to have uh, an independent board of directors to help them uh, steward the company uh, into the next generation. Uh, and then I'll do a handful of CEO searches every year, really based on my relationship with those boards uh, along the way, but I'm often working with colleagues within the firm to bring uh, the right team to the table to, to meet the need. Okay, well, let's, let's try a little uh, something different here in that, that suppose I'm either, and it's your choice, suppose I'm either a, a member of the board of directors of a, a company who is possibly looking for a CEO, a chief executive officer, or a, um, a member of the board who's uh, wanting to find a different, another board member. What can you describe uh, in a little bit of detail the typical process that a top level executive search firm takes to do that, that kind of professional job. Yeah, I, look, I, I think at the end of the day, it all starts with strategy, sort of where is the company going? So I think one of the great mistakes that companies make when they're at a leadership inflection point is to either hire in the image of the outgoing leader or in the opposite of the image of the outgoing leader, right? If you've fired somebody and, and you're parting ways, you have very clearly in your mind what you don't want, what you didn't like with that individual. Or you have a great CEO who's been there for 10 years who had a certain set of skills and was incredibly successful, but that may not be what you need to recruit for for the next 10 years. And so we really start at the beginning a lot of fact-finding in terms of understanding the market dynamics, the strategy of the company, what are the challenges, um, you know, to the business, what are shareholders thinking, what are employees and, and suppliers thinking, what are the dynamics going on in the space, and really to make sure that you're defining what you're looking through, uh, you know, I often say through the windshield rather than the rearview mirror, right, and so you look at your business challenges going forward, and then you're developing a scorecard in terms of a set of uh, experiences uh, or skills and competencies that you want to have so that you get everyone on the same page at the beginning of the process as opposed to the end. And you're debating and discussing what the construct is for deciding on the right leader, right? If it's a company that's in a turnaround situation, you may be looking for people who've done you know, turnarounds um, six times prior. Um, but those skills are very different from a company that's in an accelerated growth phase, you know, say that's just gone public and has a pile of cash and needs to deploy that and scale, you know, a potential solution or something like that. So it's setting the construct for the assessment um, at the outset that is one of the most crucial pieces um, that we're going forward. And so oftentimes that process could take you know, several weeks or even over a month, depending on, you know, the situation, but done right, it's a, it's a big job at the beginning to make sure that everybody's on the same page in terms of making decisions. And that sets the, that sets somebody like Hydrogen Struggles apart from some of the lesser firms uh, in that the, 
uh, in-depth research you do about what the company actually needs before you set out on uh, looking for candidates. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we're going to bring industry specialists to play in each search. One of the great things, you know, about Hydric is, you know, I've got somebody that knows any one given geography knows in, we were the very first firm to set up, for example, industry practices, right? So we have a consumer products practice. We have a financial services practice. We have an industrial practice. We have a healthcare practice. We have a professional services practice. And then at the same time underneath that and, and running across those, we were the first firm to establish functional practices. So we have a financial officer's practice and information officer's practice. I even have a chief security officer's practice, uh, you know, looking at cybersecurity and everything else. And so when we can bring that expertise to bear with people who understand the company culture and the relationships, then I think we can be at our best to help them make final decisions on talent that's available in the market. So you've spent time really defining who you're going to look for, and you've got the talent with the experience uh, of the of your recruiters to go after these people. What next? How do you how do you find these candidates? Yeah, well, we've got a a whole army of uh, analysts and and uh, associates and engagement managers who are really the best of the best at mining information, right? So we have for each search, we obviously have our own proprietary databases where we've kept notes on people for frankly, the entire 60 years that we've been in business. I mean, we log every phone call and every conversation that we have along the way in terms of accumulating knowledge. And then for each project, we're going out and, you know, hoeing new ground. We're, we're doing original research for each project. We're talking to influencers in the space. We're talking to investors. We're talking to... Um, players who really know the space. It could even be, you know, reporters or people who cover industries and other things to say, who are the people that are getting it right and where is the best talent out in the market? And then, you know, frankly, we're working the phones and trying to tell these individuals, you know, while it's why it's a compelling opportunity, it may be great that you're thrilled with where you work today, but you might not see that you're limited in your current, uh, you know, role. And we can not only provide you and, equal opportunity somewhere else, but a future opportunity to, you know, both grow and develop, right? Sometimes it's about the money and sometimes it's about the career opportunity there, or, or frankly, more and more we're hearing today, the opportunity to have some real impact in the world, right? Uh, people want to work for purpose-driven organizations where they can really make a difference. And that's um, a lot of what we're trying to do. So there's a lot of professional research that goes into this uh, from people who really know the business and that sort of stuff. So suppose you, suppose you identify three or four or five individuals that might be candidates. Uh, what's the process then? I mean, you, you go out and interview them. Uh, what do you do then? Correct. Yeah. I mean, depending on the search and depending on how well we've known them through the years. I mean, our interview with the individual could be an hour or it could be four hours, right? Um, and it's probably gonna require multiple touch points along the way. And then once we get comfortable with somebody as a prospective candidate, then we're helping them uh, get set up and to meet the client and uh, to have next round interviews. 
there, but you got to get through us first, right? It's, it's our job to help um, narrow down the field. And, and in many cases, we're only introducing kind of three to five candidates uh, to our clients for any one situation, even though we might interview, you know, 15 to 30 uh, for any given search uh, along the way. So if I'm the client, I know that uh, we've had, uh, you've had exhaustive research uh, into the potential candidates for the, the position that you're, you're looking for, and you've uh, screened a lot of them either by phone or by their backgrounds, and you've boiled it down to four or five uh, individuals that might be, fit the criteria, you know, not in, in, in the position description or criteria that you, you set up. So what's the next step? Do they come in and meet you or do you do it by Zoom? I suppose it's <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's sure has changed a lot. I mean, historically for the most senior levels, we would really uh, interview in person um, and, unless it was completely unavoidable given the time frame for the search. Um, but, you know, in this world of COVID, uh, you know, we all reverted to, to Zoom for everything. And so we're using video conferencing uh, way more now than we ever used to. And, you know, the reality is, is for first round interviews, it's pretty good, but, you know, you still don't get the full feel for someone, right? Um, and so, you know, historically, what I've always enjoyed about our business is the ability to not only meet somebody and hear their story, but to build a relationship with them and see how they behave, right? When they come into your office, how do they treat your uh, receptionist or uh, your assistant in terms of setting things up? So if you go out to a restaurant, how do they treat the service people in the restaurant? How do they treat the other people in your group? Um, because you're, you're developing a body of information on an individual that yes, part of it is about your career, but the other part of it is about the softer side and the softer skills. Mm -hmm. that people bring to the table. Now, I know this is a, a, a very broad question and, there's, and it depends on the business and that sort of thing, but what would be the general skill profile that you would use for, let's say, a corporate director of a large corporation? Yeah, at, at the board level, it's really one of judgment, um, scar tissue experience, right? Because directors don't run the company. Uh, they're there on the behalf of shareholders to um, make sure that the management team is doing what they need to do uh, and tackling the right issues. They're advising and helping a bit on strategy, but at the end of the day, the most important thing a board member does is hire and fire a CEO. So who are the board members who've seen the breadth of an organization and who can come together and work as a group to you know, obviously make sure that you're complying with all the things you need to comply with as a public company, but really you're thinking about how you can work with a management team to add value over a period of time. And so, you know, it, it is that judgment, scar tissue, and experience that makes somebody most effective in the boardroom, right? Because as a board member, in many ways, you're not telling anybody to do anything, right? It is the the uh, penultimate, um, you know, management by influence, right? You're engaging in a dialogue and a conversation with the management team and trying to make them better each and every day. And if you're a CEO, it's an incredible gift, right? Where can you get 12 people at the pinnacle of their business career sitting around a table where you can share 
the things that you're working on and you're thinking about and you're challenged with to get their input and advice uh, in a way that is compelling. And, and if the interpersonal dynamics work well, it's a beautiful thing. And when the interpersonal dynamics don't work well, it is uh, a mess. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Now, in contrast a little bit, what would be, and I understand, and again, this, the spectrum is very broad here, but the general skill profile of a chief executive officer. Yeah, I, I mean, look, at the end of the day, while we have lots of assessment tools, the best predictor of future success is past success, right? So we're looking for people who've been there, done that in many cases. But as I alluded earlier, there are horses that perform well on a particular type of course, right? So, you know, horses for courses. So uh, how do you find a CEO that is a good fit for the business model, for the business environment that that company is in um, and are going to be successful? And so I think that's a lot of the work that we talked about earlier that we do upfront with our clients is deciding on the context of how you're going to assess someone. Um, and you know what I often tell people is like, look, search firms get paid to find square pegs for square holes, right? So if you're thinking of changing careers uh, and doing something completely different from what you've done the last 15 or 20 years, a search firm's probably not gonna find you your next job, right? Because the search firm is engaged to say, you know, if we're searching for a CFO, I want you to find me somebody who's ready to be a CFO for the first time, who's served as a controller, who's served as a treasurer, who's served as a head of investor relations and is ready to make, to make the next step, or someone who's served as a CFO before, maybe at a smaller company who's ready to start step up into a larger platform. Uh, it's not for you know, the general counsel who thinks, gee, at 20 years into my career, it'd be great to be a CFO. Mm -hmm. Well, let's suppose, for example, that um, I was one of your candidates uh, for one of these top positions, like a chief executive officer. And, um, you know, the company has decided to hire me. Now, what happens? What's the role of the search firm in the hiring process and all the rigmarole that you go through to bring a person from one role in the world to another. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're working with both parties to try and come to a successful outcome, right? But our incentives are aligned with the company, right? So we'll advise a candidate in terms of what they need to do to protect their own interests. But, you know, you're going to have to get to, you know, some sort of an employment offer uh, term sheet around what their package is going to look like. There are going to be comp consultants and lawyers involved in terms of trying to negotiate everything. In some cases, if somebody's an officer at another public company already, then there are gonna be disclosure issues um, for both companies, both when the new company hires, but when the person leaves the old company. And so we're gonna be working through in a collaborative process to try and help them think through those steps because you know, once again, to my talking about the board member who might only hire one or two CEOs in their career, you know, even senior executives, they might jump, you know, once or twice, uh, you know, from a company to another company and not think through things like, did I sign a non-compete when I got my last stock grant, for example. Um, and then at the same time, we're helping the companies do formal background checks, 
uh, and just a tremendous amount of references to make sure that the person that we interviewed and how we believe they're going to show up is actually how they operate, you know, out in the wild. And how do you do that sensitively when somebody's already in a job uh, and other pieces along the way? It, it gets it's, gets very complex and very sporty at the end. <laughs> so checking checking credentials and doing references uh, on an individual in the past is a very important part of a successful uh, executive search. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, look, it, you've, everybody's read the papers, right? There are people who claim that they've had degrees that it turns out they never had or had jobs at some point in their career. And even more than anything, what um, you know troubles me when we stumble onto one of those is that's an insight into somebody's ethics, right? It's an insight in terms of how they comport themselves. So, you know, I, I had a client that hired a CEO who hadn't graduated from college. They'd gotten out of high school and basically worked from the shop floor up into the boardroom, right? And that's fine, right? I mean, there are some people who worry about where your fancy degrees uh, come from. Charlie, you've got some of the fanciest degrees of people I know. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, uh, but others are really looking for the results and, you know, where somebody operates and, and how they operate. And so, you know, when somebody fibs or um, takes credit for things that they didn't do, then that just gets a, gives us insight into the individual that uh, we need to build, put into our uh, thinking process. Yeah, well, you know, I was going to ask you the question, what makes for a successful candidate? But I think you've already answered that. So now I'm going to jump into a different. Uh, well, I'll add on one other thing. Yeah. Look, uh, and, and yes, you need to do what's in your best interest. I would say at the end of the day, we're brokers, right? We're in the middle of matching up talent and employing organizations. Um, and, and we're helping assess that. But just imagine if you burn a recruiter at a firm and you either get to the end and you pull out or you don't keep them informed or you leave them embarrassed, then that hurts their professional reputation. And so what I would say to any candidate in terms of being a successful candidate is just be upfront and honest with the recruiter in terms of your thinking every step along the way. And don't, as happened to me once, send a text to somebody to pull out of a search process when six people have flown in from around the country to come and meet with you, um, you know, along the way. That's, it's just, it's bad form. And it's, it's the same things that, you know, make you effective in business should make you effective here. Everybody might be disappointed, but the more upfront and open you are with people and transparent you are with people, the, the better your reputation will be coming out of something like that. Well, I can see that. Now, uh, during the past year, we've had quite a change in the way we, we live. And this has had a big effect on businesses. So how has the COVID-19 pandemic impacted the executive search business? Well, it's probably sped up the search process more than any technological innovation we've applied to search in its history, right? So searches are getting done much more quickly. I mean, in the old days, you know, uh, Charlie, I might call you on a Monday and, you know, by the time you're running through airports and stopping at pay phones and calling in to get your messages, I'm um, dating myself here, but, um, you know, 
you and I might not talk until Thursday or Friday, right? And I say, hey, I've got a job that you might be interested in, you know, maybe take a look and do a little research and let's talk next week. Well, all of a sudden, three weeks go by before we meet. And, um, you know, today, in today's world, you know, we call a candidate on Monday, we interview them on Wednesday via Zoom, and, and our clients are interviewing them on Friday. I mean, it's, it's an amazing thing that has shortened the cycle time for some of these searches in a way that's um, really neat to see how it's gone forward. But it, it also comes with a little bit of a downside. I talked about sort of the desire to get all the intangible stuff when you're meeting with people in person. And so what we've done to mitigate against that is we do a lot more references today, probably double the number of references that we used to do pre-COVID uh, in terms of getting read on people. And that's the great beauty of having 425 partners around the firm. There's almost nobody we can't check up on at some level um, to see what they're like. What's it, do, do people wanna be on that executive's team? Do customers like them? Do suppliers like working with them? Do employees follow them when they go from place to place? Um, and what kind of a leader are they? And, and are they caring? Uh, those are the, the intangible pieces that we really try and drill down on. Well, it sounds like, and I don't know if this is true, but it sounds like these things that have impacted the search business, uh, the pandemic, uh, these, some of these things are going to endure. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, you know, I don't know that we'll go back to doing all of our first round interviews in person. I'm, I'm certainly hopeful to be meeting more people in person because part of why I got in this business is I like people. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot nicer to be out, uh, you know, visiting with somebody and getting to know them and hearing about their family and other things. Whereas the, the nature of, of Zoom is it, it tends to not be quite, a, in some ways it's more intimate, right? You're looking into people's homes. And yet in other ways, it's, it's just a little more sanitary and a little more transactional. Wow, well, this business has gone way beyond that old, the old way of just contacting somebody and saying, well, who do you know that, uh, that does this and that? Uh, it's become much more rigorous and professional than it ever was in the past. Now, yeah, it, it's really evolved. It, it's been nice to see over the last decade. Now, Ted, going back in history a little bit, you know, you, you know about the eight critical skills. We've talked about these things before. Uh, the communications, production, information, analysis, technology, interpersonal, time management, continuous education, and that sort of stuff. How do these uh, skills stack up to the kind of uh, executives re you uh, recruit these days? Yeah, I think many of them are there in, in every executive role, right? I mean, um, some of them are more of what I would call table stakes, um, you know, ju just, you know, you better have them or you're not going to get to senior levels in business. Mm -hmm. And others are the most critical things that we're continually probing on and trying to understand how somebody shows up. So uh, to me, communications, um, you know, probably the most important, right? Back to my earlier analogy as a CEO, you're one person yep. in a company of, you know, hundreds thousands or tens of thousands, or in some of the bigger companies, hundreds of thousands, right? I mean, you can't do much on a day-to-day -day basis by yourself. Uh, and how do you communicate to that team to, you know, point them in the right direction, but inspire them um, to make them excited about coming to work every day and feeling good about what they're doing? Um, that's important. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, you look at things like continuous education, as you phrase it, I call it a learning mindset, right? Uh, a continual curiosity for what's changing in the world and what's going on about you. And uh, not just learning for yourself, but learning for your organization, right? I mean, yes, you start with the individual, but as I alluded to earlier, the team and then the whole organization, how do we set up a company that has a learning mindset um, You know, at the same time? Um, interpersonal skills, obviously off the charts, right? I mean, I think we've gone far away from 20 years ago where it was the top down, I'm the boss and I'm gonna tell you what to do. Um, you know, it's really more management by influence and inspiring people uh, that's most important. But I look at some of the other things like production, I mean, making it happen, getting your job done, that's table stakes to me. Time management, being able to show up in the right place and prioritize, that's table stakes to me. Um, you know, technology, boy, I know a lot of incredible leaders of companies who could barely work their iPhone when somebody first gave it to them, you know, right? So it's not that they need to be a technologist per se, but they need to know how to invest resources and to empower other people to use technology to accomplish their business goals and to gather information that goes into the analysis piece of your, your critical skills, right? So the, the other one that I think is, is one of the most critical is the information, um, you know, I think you call it sorting and testing for truth. I, I think that's one of the most critical, right? Do yep. you use the Socratic method to ask questions and see where someone's a little uncomfortable and pull on that string a little bit. So you're testing and probing whether somebody's, um, you know, pulling the wool over your eyes and not being completely honest or, or trying to cover up where they really don't know the details in their business uh, along the way. And, and can you use the Socratic method to lead somebody else to a solution that you see in front of them as opposed to telling them to do something? right by laying out questions and letting them do it on their own um, you can be a much more effective leader than standing around and trying to figure out what orders you're going to give out to people each day well let's put the shoe on the other foot for a second and say i'm a person who thinks that the executive recruiting business is really cool and i'd like to get in that business well what what are some of the skills uh, that, are, that make an effective executive recruiter at, at the hydrogen struggles level? Yeah, I mean, look, they're nearly identical to the skills that make a great executive, right? Um, you know, you've got to be able to have time management, judgment, caring about people around you, um, projecting a positive attitude, right? I mean, nobody wants to see Debbie Downer every day, right? If you if you want to get into the executive search business, you're dealing with people each and every day, and in some way or another, people are gonna disappoint you along the way, right? So you've gotta be able to be resilient. Um, you know, one of our former CEOs used to say, it's an extraordinarily simple business that is incredibly hard to do and even harder to do well, right? I mean, you pick up the phone, you call people, you vet through some information and um, you get to a solution, but, um, really the key is working with people, um, you know, out there. And, and, you know, in addition to your eight critical skills, somebody once said to me, you know, what are the other things that make people successful, right? I mean, think about it. When you meet somebody, you know 
when they're a leader, right? They, they have that ability to project power or presence, right? It's those um, intangible things that just lead you to be drawn to that person who fills up a room, whether it's in a business meeting or at a party, right? Um, along the way. And um, those are the people that end up leading large organizations and, and driving people forward. Yeah, without getting into technicalities, it's kind of like the they emanate a field like the Higgs boson, and we won't go there. But that's yeah. uh, they affect other people intangibly. That's right. And look, and we're entering a new phase where I recognize presence used to be a term that I think was used to filter people out, and I think we've recognized that in the world of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, that were, um, we were probably unfairly filtering out people because they didn't look and feel the same as the leaders who'd come before them. But presence can come in a lot of different formats. It doesn't have to mean uh, what it once did, but it does mean uh, an individual who can give energy to other people and affect others and lead others in a way that's unique and different. Yep. Well, Ted, we've covered a lot here, and um, I'm wondering if you could share with us uh, if someone would like to contact uh, Hydrogen Struggles, uh, what, what do they do? Yeah, so uh, you can find all of the material about our firm on our website, which is uh, www.hydric.com. That's H-E-I-D-R-I-C-K. Uh, and you'll find all sorts of information about our firm, um, the services that we provide, where our offices are, uh, as well as a lot of great intellectual content in terms of things that our partners have written on their industries and uh, trends that are going on uh, out there. So it's a great resource for people. And uh, if you go through some of the um, sources there, if you wanna be considered as a candidate, you can even submit your resume and other things to make sure that you're in our database uh, and that we have the information on you for projects that we're working on. Now that's that's wonderful. Now, Ted, is there any, is there any other point you'd like to share with our audience? Uh, we've covered a lot. I think uh, you've been pretty complete here. No, I I, I just so enjoy uh, you know working with people, Charlie. I know you uh, spend a lot of time coaching senior executives, and I think. You know, so often people get a job and then just do the work in front of them. I think, you know, taking time to step back and think about what your career goals and, and objectives are and how you're going to accomplish those is important because we can all spend each day just coming and doing the work that's on our plate, but you could turn around five or 10 years from now and realize that uh, you're, you're stuck. Right, I, I remember you've got a book uh, on the doom loop that you and I laughed about at lunch one time that I, I loved you showing me on the back of a, a cocktail napkin, but <laughs> it is so easy for people to reach a dead end in their career when they've gone from doing really well to not challenging themselves and being thoughtful about moving into the next phase. And so whether that's uh, working with a great coach like you to think about how you're planful with your career or talking to somebody in the executive search in industry, I think it's important people are intentional and thoughtful about where they want to spend their time. You only get one life on this earth, so. That's for sure, Ted. 
Uh, Ted, I want to thank you so much for being our guest today, for taking the time. Um, we love guests like you on It's All About Skills. Now, as for me, I am an internationally certified coach specializing in career management, skill development, career crises, and positive intelligence. And you can get in touch with me through my website, charliejetcoaching.com. That's charliejetcoaching.com. So I want to thank you all for listening today. And I want to thank Ted Dysart again for his insights about the executive search profession. We'll see you all next time as we discuss the critical skills on It's All About Skills. Thank you for listening to this episode of All About Skills. To learn more information about the critical skills, be sure to visit itsallaboutskills.com for access to resources like blogs, field studies, published books, and more about how to learn, how to use, and how to teach this important content. That's exclusively available on itsallaboutskills.com. We look forward to having you join us on the next episode so we can continue to help you learn, master, and excel by using critical skills right here on All About Skills.